tonight, where, as I said earlier, we're continuing our overview, God's big picture and, uh, of the Bible. And uh, the point of these, just for like a disclaimer at the beginning, is not that we're go- our goal here is to make any of us um, some great experts in the Bible, um, hoping to increase our skill and knowledge and that kind of thing. Uh, but we're really doing this at a high level and trying to give you just points of reference in God's story uh, as it moves from Genesis to Revelation. Um, But before we do that, I've already been asked, are we doing puzzles again this week? So I'm sorry, we are not doing puzzles again this week, but I do have something to to get us started. Have you ever played What Comes Next? So basically, I'm going to put some words up on the screen, and then I have a couple of these slides, and then I want you to think about what's the next word or set of words that's supposed to come next. So I'll do this first one. Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney. What comes next? That's Christian Bale. Very good. Very good. Let's try another one. Catherine and Jane. No. No. Anne, yes, 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 very good. Ready? Neville Chamberlain, Winston Churchill, Clement Attlee. Yes, very good. Winston Churchill, for you math people, X. Ooh. Anybody know what it is? You guys been working on Roman numerals at all? What's the X L? Yes, X L X L. All right. Of course, we have to make this spiritual. So the next one: Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus. Oh yeah, we're just reviewing some of the parts of the uh, the Bible from last week. All right. So Genesis. Yes. Going across the pond now: Carter, Reagan, Bush. Very good, Clinton, yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Ah, very good, yes. And finally, last and maybe most importantly to some of you in the room, Brighton, Tottenham, Manchester City, Arsenal. Yes, very good. (laughs) That's the Premier Premier League from fourth down to, to first. All right, very good, very good. What was the point of doing these? Their sequences, their patterns, and when you have a sequence or a pattern, it's to get your, your mind just thinking about, well, what comes next? Based on the pattern, what comes next? And maybe these aren't the best things in light of what we're going to be talking about tonight because they're sequences, but we're going to be talking about the pattern of God's kingdom. Last week, we talked a bit about um, God's big picture and this overarching theme that we're going to be using, we'll, we'll reference a little bit later, of um, God's big picture as expressed through the kingdom of God. And we're going to be looking over the next now nine weeks about how that kingdom um, is expressed in different ways throughout the scriptures. And as we look at Genesis uh, chapters one and two tonight in some form, um, we're going to be looking at the pattern of this kingdom as it's established in the first few pages of the Bible, all right? And so we're not going to be looking at puzzle pieces so much as we're going to be looking at what pattern do they start to create, 
The whole point of the puzzles last week, if you weren't with us, is if you have all these pieces on the table, but no real idea of how they fit together, it can be confusing and frustrating. And truth be told, many of us probably in the room, when we first start engaging with the Bible, you feel like that. And you get really excited when a few pieces start to fit together, and you're like, ooh, I, I see a little bit here. And you get really excited. What we're going to try to do is what many of us did last week with the puzzles. We're making a framework, a pattern. And we're going to see how that pattern fills in as we go through this. So last time uh, that we met together, we looked at these various pieces of the Bible. Just to review those, all right? 66 books in total, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. We talked about how they're primarily written in two languages, Hebrew and Greek. Some Aramaic and other languages sprinkled in there as well. Composed by about 40 human authors written over a period of roughly 1,500 years, location spanning from Babylon to Egypt to Rome. We talked about really what we wanted to say is as you look at the Bible, there really is only one story. The pieces form a unified picture. We looked at um, the dynamic between the human authorship and God's ultimate overseeing of that process so that the writing of, in the writing of Scripture, um, what, he, what they wrote, God oversaw that to ensure that it is exactly what he intended. And so when we look at this book, as we have it now in front of us, it's not simply what they wrote, it is also and ultimately God's word. He is the single author of it all, even as he works through the human authors. And we saw how we see that really there's only one story and subject, and that being Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation through him, of his rule and his reign. He is the king through whom the rule and reign of God comes, that kingdom of God. And so we talked about how Jesus is ultimately... as king and redeemer, the main subject of the Bible. There's one author. There's really one main subject of the Bible, and that is the theme of the kingdom of God coming through him. And as we look at the bits and pieces of the Bible and, and how that comes together, that element permeates the pages. If you remember, we looked in the Gospel of John. If you want to jot this down on your page, if you weren't here last week, John chapter 5, verse 39 as Jesus was interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that by them you have life, but you refuse to come to me. And then later on in Luke's gospel, in the end of, uh, as his two disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and they were downtrodden and dejected because Jesus had been crucified, he comes alongside them and they don't recognize him. And he, he explains, it says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so just to be reminding ourselves of these things. And so when we come to the Bible to understand one author, really there's one main subject. It is really one book. Even though there are those 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, they are like pieces of a puzzle that when we assemble them properly, they give us one clear picture of what God has been doing from Genesis to Revelation. And so, to be reminded then, as we look at this one book, um, that this basic two-part structure of the Old and New Testament of the Bible has its own significance beyond just being a reflection of how the things took place. 
That really is not simply a convenient literary structure, like here's the old and here's the new. But the arrangement of the Old Testament and the New Testament highlight a progression. As we see here on this, one of promise in the Old Testament that we're going to see and fulfillment as it begins to happen in the New Testament as we look forward to God bringing this kingdom into its fullness. A quote from last week just to remind ourselves. We first see the kingdom of God in the Garden of Eden. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Here Adam and Eve live in willing obedience to the word of God and God's rule. In this setting, the kingdom of God is destroyed by the sin of man. That's what we'll look at next week. And the rest of the Bible is about the restoration of a people to be the willing subjects of the perfect rule of God. A friend and colleague of mine today, are you just going to get up there tonight and say, it's all about redemption and then close it and say you can go home? (laughs) And it is. It is about God redeeming what has been broken. But tonight we're going to look at what was the pattern of what was broken. What did we lose? And what is God at work to restore and bring back? That's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to use the theme of the kingdom of God to trace and pull this together, this big picture of the Bible, as I said, as it moves from Genesis to Revelation. And tonight we'll start at the beginning. We'll start in Genesis. So if you have a Bible and you want to open to Genesis chapter 1, Um, We're not necessarily going to read this whole section, but we're going to make reference to some things in Genesis chapter 1. So I'll give you a moment when it sounds like there's no more pages turning. I'll I'll continue on here. This is a definition that we are working off of, of when we say the kingdom of God. What do we mean by that? Um... This is a simple definition. It comes actually from two books we're using as resources for this. One is God's Big Picture. Obviously, that's the title we're using. Great book that is available through the Good Book Company. So if you want to grab one of those, it would be great to read along and follow along with that. Uh, Much of what we're doing is following that. But a lot of this, as I said last week, is based on this little book, Gospel and Kingdom. And the definition of the kingdom of God being God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing is something that Von Roberts in this book has kind of borrowed from this book by Graham Goldsworthy. And it's a simple definition, but it will serve us well, all right? It may not be exhaustive, but it'll serve us well to get a grasp of this big story, progression, big picture, as we follow the narrative of the Bible so that we can work with its parts, Again, remember, I'm not trying to get an expert view of the whole Bible, but my hope and my goal is by the time we get to the end of this Bible overview, that when you start reading the Bible, you can say, I think we're here in the big picture, and start to get your bearings and hopefully begin to fit pieces together. Now, the emphasis in this definition falls on that last element, God's rule and blessing. And as we think about the kingdom of God, we should... Uh, n- We should not um, think of it primarily in terms of like geographical boundaries. Um, This is probably something that you would think of more than me, but you know, as being an American and this being the United Kingdom, you know, and so when I had to come here, in order to come here and live here and enter the United Kingdom, I had to go over border control, right? And I have to give my papers. And so there's this idea of this kingdom being something geographical. And while there is a place in which God's kingdom is expressed, it is ultimately and primarily 
a different concept. I want to read something from wonderful older book by George Eldon Ladd. He was a professor at Fuller Seminary in America in California, and he says this, and just I ask indulge that you, that you listen as I read this. He says, we have to set aside our modern idiom, this idea of what we think of as the kingdom. It says, Webster's Dictionary provides us with a clue when it gives us this first definition, the rank quality, state, or attributes of a king, royal authority, dominion, monarchy, kingship. We've seen that on display over the last week or so, haven't we? That idea of majesty and grandeur um, was up in Edinburgh this last week and seeing the things happening there as we were trying to meet with um, some different Christian leaders up there and cultivate partnership and seeing the lines of people uh, outside St. Giles Cathedral to see Her Majesty as she came down from Edinburgh uh, to London and see the street. And that's the idea. So, so from the viewpoint of modern usage, the definition may be archaic, that idea of this majesty and kingship, but it's, price, it's precisely what is necessary to understand the biblical teaching. It's not about a geographical space. The primary meaning of both the Hebrew word malkuth in the Old Testament and the Greek word basileia in the New Testament is the rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by a king. Perhaps you remember the parable that Jesus told about the ruler who went off to receive a kingdom and then he came back. What did he go to receive? He didn't have a kingdom in a box. He went and received the authority to rule, his kingship. And so that is the idea when we're thinking of the kingdom of God. Again, it's going to be expressed in a physical place. But it's not about the geographical boundaries of that place. It's about God's sovereignty and majesty and authority and rule taking place over and for a group of people. So again... Tonight, we are looking at the pattern of the kingdom. Notice there are the things that are going to be coming next in the coming weeks, the parish kingdom, the promised kingdom. I won't read through all of those. Uh, but tonight, let's talk about the pattern of the kingdom as, again, I invited you to open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. The pattern, what do we see here as we read Genesis 1? I'm not going to read it all tonight, but if you're familiar with it, chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And then it proceeds to go through the days of creation. And how is it that as we look at this, um, how is it that we can say that there's a kingdom here revealed in this? Because as we read through these pages, you never find the word king and you never find the word kingdom. But there are elements that point to it. Well, one is simply this. God made everything. It says that God made everything over these course of days. God, and by implication, what that means, if he makes something, he has authority over it. And again, remember, our working definition of God's kingdom is not a place, but his authority. It's revealed in his very act of creating. He's, he's not a part of his creation. He stands apart from it. Nor is it somehow an extension of him. This is not Jedi Knight territory, right? <laughs> of the force being around us and permeating us and holding all things together. No, no, that's Star Wars and that's Eastern mysticism. That's not the creator God of the Bible who is intimately involved with his creation but distinct from it and over it. He is over the creation. And the refrain 
and it was good. Look at that. It's, uh, let's look at, as we read through, sorry, I'm trying to get my point of reference here. There's a refrain as you go through this, that God saw that it was good with each day. Thank you. I was trying to find it. And God saw that it was good. There's the first one. In verse 12, and God saw that it was good. In verse 18, and God saw that it was good. In verse 21, and God saw that it was good. In verse 25, and God saw that it was good. What's the point of that? As we think about this working definition of God's kingdom, about God's people and God's place living under his rule and blessing, and this initial pattern, if you will, this paradigm of the kingdom, his authority is being demonstrated in him making everything, and in everything he makes, he says, it is good good it's a a, an idyllic creation the physical creation was first created good (laughs) and the overall story of the bible is for all of creation as we now experience it which is maybe sometimes not so good to be redeemed but that's getting ahead of ourselves that's the parish kingdom next week but as part of the good creation god made something unique or better stated someone Look, if you will, at verse 26. Right after God said all these creative things in verse 25, God said that it was good. 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image. God made human beings. God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Human beings have a different status within God's creation. And in this this pattern that he's creating here in Genesis chapter 1, as he creates human beings, um, it's clear that we share in the fact that we are all creatures, just like the animals, we are created beings, we're not God himself, but there is an important distinction about you and me and every other human being that has ever walked on the face of the planet, and that is that God says of you and all of them and us that we are created in his image, that there is a unique capacity within us of knowing him and reflecting who he is in a way that no other part of creation can no matter how massive no matter how beautiful um, no matter how impressive God made us to know him and in some ways to reflect him and he made us to live in perfect relationship with him and with one another so look at verse 27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, two things here. I don't know if you picked up on what God did when he created human beings. But when God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, let them what? Rule over the fish of the sea. And the birds of the air. And then he says in this verse 28, 
he says, again, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature. What is God doing there? He's delegating authority. He has authority, kingly authority, that he then delegates. And again, what's the whole point of this? It's to set a pattern. The pattern of God's kingdom and of his kingly rule. And you and I are meant to be a part of that story as the kingdom of God pattern is expressed here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. God made us to live in perfect relationship with him and with one another. Did you notice what happened? Man is created on the sixth day. On the seventh day, what happens? God rested. And there's a unique feature there when it says that God rested. Because there's a, a distinction as you come to the beginning of chapter 2. Every other day of creation begins with, or there's this refrain, and there was morning and there was evening. What's true of the seventh day is that there's no reference point for that. In a sense, it's ongoing. It's continued to go. When it says that God rested from his work, it's this idea that in his creative work, all the preparations had been made. It's like when you're having guests over. Right? You're having guests over and you're having them over for dinner and you have laid the table and you've put out all the, 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 the plates and the cutlery and perhaps the decorations and the candles and the food and the glasses and the drinks and whatever it is and it's ready, hopefully. Right? It's usually not the way it works in our house. We're never ready <laughs> and people are ringing the bell and it's never done. But hopefully in the real world we would prefer to be ready so that when the guests come they can sit down and we can just be together. And this idea of rest is God has created in the garden that we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 2, a place of rest in his presence. That he invites us to live in perfect relationship with him. This is the pattern he creates. He creates a place where human beings can live in perfect relationship with him and in perfect relationship with one another. It reveals chapter 2 when we come here. It's a different account of Genesis and creation than Genesis chapter 1. Again, we won't read through this. But if you're familiar with this act of creation, it focuses in not on God creating all the animals and things like that, but it focuses in more on human beings created in his image to enter into that rest. He had made provision for them and he gave them loving parameters don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he had provided for everything else. They enjoyed intimacy with one another. The Bible says they were naked and were not ashamed. That there was no sense of any barriers between us. There was an absence of shame. Can you imagine a world absent of shame? And they have fulfillment in their roles and in their work. And it says that they walked with God. It was an ideal existence and the pattern of what it means to live as God's people in God's place experiencing God's rule and blessing God's people in God's place experiencing God's rule and blessing so God made everything he made human beings and God made us to live in perfect relationship with him and with others so let's come back to this idea again. God's people in this pattern of the kingdom, who are the people we see? Adam and Eve. 
The prototype people, the pattern, the first people. And what is God's place? Well, it's the Garden of Eden. And what is God's, how is God's rule and his blessing expressed? Through his word and through that relationship and through that provision. Now, what does that mean for us? When we think about there being, we just kind of fast forward a little bit into the New Testament. Um, when we think about um, this idea of rest and this paradigm, and again, I don't want to jump too far forward, but at the same time, whenever we are considering some of these elements, what we're doing in the previous sections, I, I want us to just make some, some quick jumping forward to the, to the New Testament as well. If you're here this morning, um, Mike talked about Jesus as the, the greater Abraham, so to speak. Um, and as we come to this idea of rest, and again, remember the, the paradigm of Old Testament to New is one of promise and fulfillment. We see promises made to Abraham that ultimately find their fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we think about this paradigm of the kingdom, we see a foreshadowing of what God is going to bring to fulfillment through his son Jesus. This idea that there is still this opportunity for rest. That we can enter into that rest that God has prepared for you and for me. Look at Hebrews, if you want to turn there. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Excuse me, I'm going to turn there as well. If you notice, the chapter title is A Sabbath Rest for the People of God. And then it says in verse 9, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. We think about this pattern of the kingdom. As we sum this up tonight, and we're going to be briefer tonight just because we're, we're, we're setting this up for what's coming next. We think about this idea that God has prepared a rest that God has prepared a place for people to walk in perfect relationship with him and where God has created a place for people to live in perfect relationship with one another. God says that opportunity for rest still exists. As we think about this idea of the pattern of the kingdom, I'm going to go back to another slide. That pattern, earlier, what did we say? We looked at the names. We said, what comes next? When you know the pattern, you can predict what's coming next. When you have the framework, you know how the pieces fit together. If this is how God put it together in the beginning, 
It's an element of how that kingdom is meant to function now. We can know a God who invites us to come into his kingdom through his son Jesus Christ and to enter into his presence and find rest and to know his redeeming power and to put this in perspective of not just our own personal lives but of what God has called us to do as a church. There's a reason why as, in, as a group of elders and church leaders we, we talked about that deep dive we did last year and we said what's our whole purpose for existing as a church? And what do we say? We exist as a church to invite all people into an ever-deepening relationship with King Jesus. That's the kingdom. That's the pattern of the kingdom. And as we work through this, we're going to see we live in this wonderful season of here but not yet. <laughs> Where the kingdom has come through Jesus Christ and we live in this time where we get to proclaim that kingdom until it is perfected when he comes back. And that's a tremendous opportunity, that's a tremendous blessing, and that's a tremendous motivator to us. The pattern of the kingdom, it lets us know where we are and where we're going. So just some possible takeaways I want you to think about <clears throat> tonight. If God puts such great emphasis on our relationship with him and with others, how would you say that, is, that emphasis is shaping your priorities in day-to-day -day life? It's one thing to come here tonight and for us to talk about the pattern of the kingdom, how God has you know, made us to enter into a perfect relationship with himself and with others, but that is not meant to just be a theological thought that we put on the shelf and look at and say, isn't that nice? The kingdom and his rule is something, remember, God's people in God's place experiencing his rule and his blessing. So if God puts such great emphasis on our relationship with him and with others, how would you say that emphasis is shaping your priorities in day-to-day -day life? If our, if our concept of the kingdom of God doesn't include that kind of thing, we need to go back to scripture and let it shape how we think about it. And one more thought. How does it make you feel to be created in God's image? How does it make you feel to be created in God's image? How does that inform your own sense of dignity, worth, value, purpose, meaning? I think it's really possible to live in a world, particularly as we're around like London and a great cosmopolitan city, and you can go into the, the center of London and just be really insignificant, can't you? I mean, just lost in the crowd, or maybe even worse. Who knows your story, your history, your brokenness, things that have been done to you, or whatever the case may be. And this pattern of the kingdom there's also this perished kingdom. The world's broken. And we can often feel like we don't have much value or dignity or worth. And you need to hear as God created everything and he said it was good. 
and his plan is to bring people back into perfect fellowship with himself. And he loves you, and he made you to have rest in his presence. I think Mike, as he was talking about Psalms, I was thinking about this on the way over. As we were going through Psalms this summer, I remember his statement about prayer, of just having opportunity to crawl into our Father's lap and talk with him for a while. That's a great picture of rest. And we can do that because we have value and dignity and worth because we're made in his image, but also through faith in his son, we become children of God. And so how does that inform your own sense of, of dignity for yourself? But the flip side of that, how does it inform the way you look at others and treat others? No matter where they are in the spectrum of life, I have to confess, I was on a train this week and somebody walked by and I looked at them and you know, don't judge me for this, please, but <laughs> did you ever have that sense of just, you look at someone and you have this a condescending thought, you know, self-righteous thought, like, oh man, that person's just whatever it is. And in retrospect, I had to do some heart check and say, made in the image of God, loved and valued by him, gave his son, that that person and any person might come into a relationship with himself. So when we think about this pattern of the kingdom, it's not just, hey, this is a great little talk about the Bible. Hopefully this gives us some handles as we go into life this week how we think about ourselves, how we treat others, how we live this out on a day-to-day basis. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dave is going to come and lead us in another song. Um, We're going to close our time in prayer, just some final thoughts. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, we do come to you tonight again, and we think about this idea of the kingdom. And we acknowledge and bow before you that you are the king over all creation that you are the king, that you are the God of creation and that you made all things good because you are good and majestic and wonderful and beautiful and awesome. And in this remarkable pattern of the kingdom to know that you have made us unique You have made us more than anything else in all of creation, more than galaxies and stars and oceans and anything else that we can think of that is grand and massive and beautiful, that you, more than anything else, say that we can uniquely know you and reflect you. Father, I pray that as we continue to put these pieces together of the Bible, as we continue to put that progression of story together from beginning to end that you would begin just to work into our our grid of how we look at your word and, and look at life a pattern this pattern of the kingdom that you made in the first two people and in the place that you made for them this wonderful and beautiful picture of life under your rule, idyllic, peaceful, fulfilling, safe. 
Lord, we know we live in a world that doesn't reflect that now, but we live in light of the hope of it coming perfected one day because of you, King Jesus, coming to this earth. And as the king, as it says, in, you, you rested on that seventh day because all preparations had been made. Lord, we also think of your words on the cross when you said it is finished, that you've done everything necessary for us to come into your presence through faith in you. And so, Lord, would you please just allow these things to permeate our mind and filter into our thinking and our living? Would you shape the way that we um, set our priorities in day-to-day life just knowing that you made us for yourself and for relationship with others? And would you especially, Lord, tonight give us a proper sense of our dignity and worth Lord, especially those who through the experience of life tonight might feel worthless and broken and like rubbish. Lord, would you please heal and bring um, perspective to that one, to all of us, that sense of dignity and value that comes by being made in your image. So, Lord, um, this has been an overview, and it has been a, a, a flyover at 35,000 feet. But I pray um, that some of these things would land in a fruitful way on our hearts for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.